Hello and welcome to the Highlight Zone Podcast. I'm Noah Manderfeld. Julie Giese grew up on a Colby dairy farm. There she learned hard work and how to earn things for herself. She went to college for animal science, not even related to NASCAR, but now she's president of Phoenix Raceway. Matt Infield sits down with Julie to talk about her journey from a small town in central Wisconsin to president of one of the largest racetracks in the country. It's from Colby to NASCAR. Enjoy. Julie, let's start with the beginning and your upbringing in Colby, Wisconsin, and just kind of what that was like for you and your childhood on the way, you know, to start this journey. So I grew up on a, on a dairy farm, a, a small dairy farm um, between Colby and Edgar. It's a, a family farm. My brother and sister-in-law and, and nephew are on that farm now, uh, third generation. Uh, it, it was a, a great way to grow up looking back at it. Um, I'm really grateful for the, for that, the fact that I grew up on a dairy farm. The, uh, as you know, people in central Wisconsin, like they, they work hard and the dairy farmers, you don't get days off. And that was instilled in me very early on. And I think that has what uh, really made me successful. I, I'm not afraid of the hard work. My parents uh, showed me and led by example. And if you have a problem, you just can't like walk away. You're going to have to figure out how to fix it um, because you're the only ones on the farm. So um, you need to work through it and, and problem solve and and just you know continue to push. So it was a great opportunity for me. I'm truly grateful. Um, I love going back and visiting and um, it's it's definitely, I'm proud of it. Are you a Colby High School grad? I was a Colby High School grad, yes. Very nice. Yep, class of gonna, 1995. <laughs> you're after I was born, wow. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's just the first thing that came to mind. Don't think you sound like other. Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite as young as Derek. I've talked to Derek uh, many, many times. Yeah, he gives me quite the hard time. <laughs> not quite as young as Derek. Um, I'll get back to, I want to get back to the crossover of your upbringing and kind of how that's helped you succeed and get to this point. A little bit later on, but what sparked your love of racing? Because for me, you know, I got into NASCAR when I was 10 years old from playing video games, but I've never sat down and watched an entire race with anybody in my immediate family. So what was it for you? So when I was growing up, my dad was a race fan. I remember watching the Daytona 500 with him. Um, he was a Dale Earnhardt fan. And um, I just remember that it was always on. We watched it. I grew up. I let. I I seemed to. I switched drivers quite a bit. I liked. Um, I liked Bill Elliott, and then Dale Jarrett, uh, Ernie Irvin, Davey Allison. And kind of took a, a liking to the um, Robert Yates team, and um, and just really enjoyed it. And I think for me, it was just something to do with my family. We watched it. I remember watching the races and the Packer games. Those are the two things um, that I remember fondly on Sundays. Now you graduated from Colby high school. And from what I could gather from reading about you, a career in racing was not the initial plan. You went to school to study animal genetics. Am I correct there? Correct. It was an animal science major. I was uh, focused on genetics. And uh, again, growing up on a dairy farm, you know, agriculture is what Wisconsin is. And that's what I knew. I mean, that was, that was what I had been exposed to my entire life. And I, I loved it. Um, I knew I didn't want to take over the farm. Um, but, uh, agriculture was, was interesting to me. I, I remember spending a summer in Madison, um, in an internship or summer program 
and there was a lot of uh, time behind a microscope and I realized, okay, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, I'm going to need to figure out what my plan is. Um, and River Falls was just uh, launching a new agriculture marketing communications major and uh, had chatted with my advisor. She mentioned that to me. It was interesting. Um, so I, I made the pivot and graduated with a degree in agriculture marketing. So you decide you take the marketing degree for what I, for what it sounds like there was a lot of rejection before you got your foot in the door in racing, no? Yes, there was. Um, so I remember um, when I was going through college the last year, like racing really started to appeal to me um, and the fact that I could work in racing. I had uh, done some um some sponsorship proposals, uh, lackluster probably at best for uh, Mark Krauss um, in Stratford. And uh, he he let me uh, help out wherever I could just to just to learn a little bit more about the sport. So I when I graduated college, I sent my resume out to all the racetracks. because I was like, I mean, how hard could it be? Right. Like, I'm just going to send in my resume. I'm sure somebody's going to hire me. And back then they sent a lot of rejection letters. So I still have that file folder of rejection letters that have um, that are signed by actually several of my peers. Um, one of them from Phoenix International Raceway at the time by the person actually who hired me at Daytona. So uh, it's kind of interesting to see how things come full circle um, now, given where I am. Mark Krause being Derek Krause's father for anyone at home who does not know. Those letters of rejection that you keep, I had, you know, before I got the job up here, I had a spreadsheet of all the stations that reject me. It kind of adds, kind of adds a little bit of fuel to the fire. Was that what it was for you or what it is still? You know what? I, so I didn't realize I had saved those um, rejection letters when I was moving from Watkins Glen International down to Daytona in 2004, I was cleaning out a file cabinet and I found a file folder called job letters. And I was like, well, what is this? And I opened it up and I could, I, I was stunned. I had no idea that I had saved them. The race fan in me thinks I probably saved them because they had, they were letters from racetracks. Um, and uh, so I wish I could say they were fuel, but really there it's, it provides a really good story. Now uh, the fact that things have come full circle. And again, I got a lot of rejection letters from my peers in the track that I'm now working at. There's souvenirs with racetrack letterheads at the top. I, I get it. I get it. So Watkins Glen was really, correct me if I'm wrong, the first big break that got your foot in the door and got all this rolling. So tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, I, when I graduated college, again, I didn't um, I didn't get a job in racing. So I went to work at an advertising agency in uh, Minneapolis and um, learned a ton. There was a uh, one of my teammates knew uh, or had a friend that worked at uh, Watkins Glen International and she knew that I had a love for racing and that was something that I eventually wanted to get into and he had called her actually because they were hiring a, an entry-level PR manager and he called her because he thought she might be interested she wasn't but she knew again that I had that interest so she passed it along to me um, I remember I interviewed with them in December and um, made the move in early January of 2001 to upstate New York. Well, if you grew up in central, I'm a downstate New Yorker from Long Island, but if you grew up in central Wisconsin, you're definitely fit for upstate New York winners. 
Buffalo is a little sure. bit of a different animal, but you're not quite in Buffalo if you're in Watkins Glen, but you were still conditioned yeah. regardless. Lots more snow in upstate New York. Uh, Wisconsin, much colder. Yes, um, yes. Lots more snow in upstate. You were on the mark there. So then you spend three and a half years at Watkins Glen. You had a pretty quick rise there. And then you go to Daytona, the mecca of stock car racing. One, I imagine getting that job had to be a dream fulfilled in itself. And then if you can, just explain to me all the different hats that you wore at Daytona. Yeah, to, to get that phone call and, and be asked to join the team at Daytona International Speedway, that was incredibly special. My first race was the 2001 Daytona 500 um, when I was working at Watkins Glen. And, um, and just to be, I remember being there at Daytona and just standing on pit road and thinking, oh my gosh, like this, wow, I'm at Daytona. And then to have the opportunity to work there full time, uh, the history that Daytona International Speedway represents of our sport is um, it's it's unparalleled. And you feel that when you arrive at the speedway, you go through the tunnel, it's hollow ground and and to be part of it and and to know that I worked there. That was where I drove to work every day. It was crazy. Um, And so my role when I joined the team, I was working um, as the director of communications and the marketing and marketing team. Um, It was a very small team at the time. And over the years, uh, I spent 12 years at Daytona and uh, was able to uh, just continue to grow and take on more responsibilities. Um, And at first, I was just focused on the consumer marketing um, side of things. And over the years, I just added that responsibility, whether it was um, as digital and social media started to really um, become important, adding that to the mix. Um, and then eventually overseeing the PR department, the credentials, um, all of the advertising, all the branding. Um, and when I left Daytona in 2016, I was the vice president of the marketing. So just to clarify, your first race, the 2001 Daytona 500 was your first race after you got the job at Watkins Glen or at Daytona? No, that was my first race ever working. So, ah, um, gotcha, gotcha. So I went to um, Watkins Glen again. I moved there in uh, mid-January, and they quickly sent me down to Daytona, and I spent a month in Daytona, uh, just helping the team there and really learning the ropes. Yeah, obviously the 2001 Daytona 500 is pretty consequential with the passing of Dale Earnhardt and the beginning of a new TV deal. So that is quite the way to start, to say the least. Um, yes. So you were involved in the construction of Daytona. If I remember this correctly, because I remember reading and watching it happen. This was about a decade ago, correct? Give or take. Um, yes. Yep. Yeah. Right around then. And then ISC who owns Daytona and also owns Phoenix taps you to help lead this nearly $200 million renovation and reimagining of the facility there at Phoenix. When they come to you to tackle this project, what is your thought process that comes to mind? So just a, a little backstory on how that even happened. Uh, Daytona underwent a $400 million modernization while I was in my role as the uh, VP of marketing. And um, through those, it was a three-year project. It was intense. We were running races at the same time we were uh, renovating the facility. And it was really the first time that Daytona had ever really been renovated. Um, and so there was, there's a lot of pressure because it is our crown jewel. It is our history. So how do you make it new without making it too new? Um, and during that time, I really became, uh, fell into this project manager role with the design and construction team and um, really started to help them um, with decisions, floor plans, anything from paint colors to 
where do these different rooms need to be or how does this function? Um, and so when we completed that project and, and the Phoenix project had just been approved, the, the construction and design team uh, asked me if I would join them and play a similar role on the Phoenix project that I had in Daytona. Uh, I call, I think it, I call myself a translator. Um, so basically what I was doing was helping the racetrack understand construction and design and helping the construction and design team understand racetrack and um, how that all needs to fit together. So I spent um, about just under two years in that role, a lot of time out here in Phoenix, uh, working on the project itself, and then also getting a lot of exposure with our other tracks and um, other projects, because this wasn't the only project that we were working on. We were renovating Richmond's infield. We were doing some things at Chicagoland and Kansas. So I had the opportunity that um, those two years to really learn our entire business from an operations perspective. So it was definitely a change uh, going from marketing to construction, a uh, big learning curve, um, big learning curve. But it was honestly what what I feel like made me confident and comfortable that I can be a track president. Prior to that, I don't I, I was I didn't think that that was a role for me. So construction kind of happened by accident, though. It did. That was not in my career plan, um, although a track president wasn't either. So um, you just learn to embrace the opportunities as they're presented. And when we opened Daytona, um, it was really gratifying to just see everything we had accomplished. And I saw the, the construction um, side of our business as just an opportunity to learn and, and, and continue to round out my skills um, and also surround myself with a group of really, really good individuals with the design and development team that wanted to help me uh, understand and, and learn. Yeah, I, I have no experience in construction. I can't imagine that that's an easy thing to just jump into and learn. Where do you even start there? It's a great question. Um, so I'll I tell the story. Like I remember the very first meeting I was in with the entire construction team. Um, the general contractor was there. Um, several of the trades, our, the architects, our internal design team, um, and members of the racetrack. And and these like this meeting was filled with acronyms. And I'm just my head was spinning. And I'm like I have no idea what anybody is talking about right now. Um, and so I just started scribbling. And that night I went home and like what have I gotten myself into um, because I didn't know anything it was such a change of pace I knew enough to be dangerous on how to read drawings because of what I had done at Daytona but this was a whole new level um, and so I spent a lot of time with my good friend Google and uh, finding out what all these acronyms mean and and really just started to prep myself and and again I was with a, a team at uh, the design and development group that was really patient and they they took the time to help me understand and help me learn and it also reminded me, I didn't have to be the expert on architectural design. Like there's architects in the room for that. What I needed to do was really focus on how to benefit the racetrack and the, the overall project the best way I could. What were the goals of the project in your mind? Uh, well, on budget and uh, on schedule. <laughs> that's that's our number one. Um, and Derek Muldowney will appreciate that, our lead on the design development, because that's always number one. Um, but really for us, it was it was um, reimagining that fan experience. Um, Daytona was reimagining an icon, this this beautiful facility. But at Phoenix, we really wanted to take the fan experience to a whole new level. 
Um, and racing is all about the access. You can go to um, and walk, like you can see the drivers, you can walk out under the track and sign the start finish line. How do we take that and make it even better? Um, and that's what I think we did here. Uh, we have an infield experience that is, in my mind, our game changer. It sets us apart from any other track and really, I think, any other venue. You can walk into this area and you are surrounded by a lot of different things. You can walk into the garages and you can see the teams working on the cars. The drivers are in there interacting. The crews are answering questions about what's happening with the car, or what's on the toolbox. Um, Gatorade, excuse me, Victory Lane, we just changed the sponsor. Uh, Victory Lane is, uh, we built that because we want, um, we wanted fans to be involved in it. And that's something when you look at post-race, the fans are always in the grandstands and the driver is getting the trophy across the track, usually at a location in the infield. So we really wanted to create something that the fans could participate in. So we actually designed Victory Lane around the fans. And then we figured out, okay, how do we get the car in? Um, and elevating the car and the driver and creating this walkway and catwalk almost with, with these pits full of fans. And to me, that's been the thing, like, we couldn't have we couldn't have programmed that any better. The the excitement that happens now in Victory Lane. I think any driver will tell you that's been to the new Phoenix Raceway Victory Lane. It's the best one ever. So a few years after you get involved in construction at Phoenix, the track president job opens up. As I understand it, you didn't think of yourself as much of a candidate at the start, but then your mind was changed. Talk me through that. Yes. Um, so when the leadership change um, happened and I obviously I have been spending a ton of time in Phoenix um, and working with the staff, um, one of my colleagues um, prodded me and and put the idea in in my head, honestly, as just something I should consider. And I remember the conversation well. I remember where we were like I remember it like it was yesterday. And I, I think my answer was, oh, OK. Um, and he, he had a, he, he had his, he knew I was going to say that he had uh, a, a lot of talking points ready and helped me understand um, why I should throw my hat in the ring. At the very least, the way I looked at it was, you know, having spent the last two years really seeing how all these track presidents run their business and how they lead their teams, there's not one right way to do it. Um, you can make it your own. And um, having seen that, it made me feel a lot more comfortable with what I could do. Um, so I, I put my hat in the ring very honestly, because I'm like, I, at the very least, I can learn the process. And if and when it makes sense again, or not another opportunity arises, I know what the process is like, I can put my best foot forward and maybe end up in a role like this someday. And here I am. There you go, batting a thousand. So you land that job in 2018. Obviously, big things happened for Phoenix in 2019 when the championship race was announced. But before we touch on that, I think it's kind of wild to think back on the last year because the Phoenix weekend in the spring last year was the last race before COVID shut down the sport for two months. And then obviously you have to get ready for a championship race, the first championship race at Phoenix in November. So I want to start with this simple question. I'm glad I got you during a race week because I imagine this is incredibly busy for you. What does a normal race week look like pre-pandemic and how has COVID changed what that looks like for you? 
So I think that the biggest change and really the thing you notice is just the number of people. Um, so obviously we are blessed that we can have a reduced capacity. We do have fans attending. We had them attend the NASCAR championship last November. Um, and, but it's, it's a different, it, it's different. You don't have the same numbers that you are typically dealing with. But what I would say is for all of us, if, if you look at um, November's championship and even this, this event, uh, this weekend, I think the entire team on the, that's part of Phoenix Raceway would tell you these events have been harder for us than any other because um, it's new and there's a lot of protocols and the safety of our fans, our industry, our, our staff is the utmost priority. So all the different protocols that go into play, all the different planning and scenarios and and everything else um, really contribute to it's it's new um, versus having done this um, for 20 years. So um, you know I think that's probably the biggest change. But you still you still run in races. The experience is still um, we try to make it as much like um, the pre-pandemic experience as possible. The infield experience isn't as immersive, but we've taken a lot of those things and made it virtual. So you can go on to our website or to the mobile app and um, you can download the, the virtual midway and actually interact with our partners that typically have those displays. We have videos with um, in the garages and we have crew chiefs and spotters explaining their roles. Things that you would typically have if you walked into the garages, we've just now put that um, on the virtual uh, realm. And then we've got drivers, drivers doing Q and A's is another one that it's a mainstay on race weekend. Obviously we can't do that um, in current times, but we've done a lot of zoom interviews and have uh, recorded a lot of them that we can then put up again in that uh, virtual world for fans to continue to participate. The great thing about that is it's not just then for our fans that are here at the track, it's everybody that's at home watching um, that wanted to be part of the event and couldn't, they can still interact. They can still be part of the event weekend. And that's really important to us. Do you remember getting the call, text, email, whatever it was in early 2019, less than a year into your tenure that the championship weekend was coming to Phoenix for at least 2020 and 2021 and what your reaction was? Yes, I have goosebumps as you say that. Um, I remember that phone call. And when that phone call came in, it was just for 2020. It was a one-year deal. Um, and it was, it was a very, Hey, championship is, we're going to Phoenix. Um, and I knew that it had been talked about, but really, um, didn't know the magnitude, like how serious it was until I had gotten that confirmation. And, you know, I think a lot of things contributed to that. Um, first and foremost, the facility that we built here is first class. Um, it is what you want to represent our sport and its championship. The fans here have been selling out that race for a number of years. The racing here is good. Phoenix, um, for all of those fans in Wisconsin know, uh, Phoenix is a nice place to be in November. Um, it's just prior to deer hunting, so it works out. Um, but yeah, so it's it, it, there's a lot of different things that contribute and um, it was just, it was a nice moment. And it's crazy because now I think about that and if you had no idea what was coming. Did you have kind of a full circle? I'm, I'm not sure if full circle is the right term, but your first championship, Cup Series championship hosting at Phoenix, the Bill Elliott fan growing up watches Chase Elliott win his first championship. Was there any sort of full circle moment there? 
I'll tell you, I mean, honestly, for me, the full circle moment would actually happen the year before. Um, and that was when uh, Derek won the, uh, Derek Krause won the yep. k West championship here. Um, that was the moment for me because again, I, I've, I've known the Krause family my entire life basically. And I got to know Mark really well. I've known Derek um, his entire life. So uh, to see that and just to see these two to people from central Wisconsin um, in Victory Lane at Phoenix Raceway. One as the track president, one had just won his first NASCAR championship and the family was there. A lot of Stratford, Wisconsin people there. It, that was to me, that was a full circle moment. I was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. And Derek had not even graduated high school at that point, which is still yeah, so know. wild. To think about. <laughs> I interviewed him like a month afterwards. It's still so wild to think about. Kids like five, six months away from getting his high school diploma and won that championship mm-hmm. and really dominated that entire season. Yeah. You are, as far as I could tell, one of just two women, uh, the other being Jill Gregory at Sonoma, to be a track president in NASCAR at the moment. What kind of pride does that give you one? And how do you hope to use this role that you're in to open more doors for women behind you that might want to be in a similar position? Well, first and foremost, I love hearing that I am now one of two um, because up until Jill's appointment earlier this year, I was the only. um, And to now have uh, two of us in these roles is something I'm incredibly proud of. And, and I think that's NASCAR in our industry is, has worked really hard at just, continuing to diversify, whether it's within the industry, our fan base, a lot of different things. And I never, honestly, like I, I've, I've said this, I've, I feel like I grew up in this industry. I never really felt like I was at a disadvantage. I just felt like, and my parents taught me, like, you just got to work hard. And um, if I, if I hit a roadblock, I was just like, okay, I'm going to work harder. Um, and so for me, that's, I'm really proud of this industry and I'm really proud of, of the, the opportunities that I've been given. When you look at um, NASCAR's history in general, you look at, I mean, Big Bill and Annie B. France. I spent a lot of time at Daytona and the stories of Annie B. France and the role that she played, like Bill France, Big Bill was the face of NASCAR. But at the end of the day, Annie B. was the one behind the scenes, keeping the books, making sure that the business continued to run and really was instrumental in the, in the success of the sport. So just thinking back to her and now Lisa France Kennedy and so many people from a leadership perspective that continue to pave the way and be these wonderful role models for all of us in the industry is, is something I'm proud of and I'm proud that I get to be a part of it. I'm going to wrap up with two big picture questions. One of them being what I said at the start, the crossover between growing up on a dairy farm in Colby and being the track president of a major stock car racing facility that hosts a championship race. What does that crossover what if there are one or two skills that stick out from your upbringing that has helped you get to this point? What would you say they are? I've I've said it. Hard work. Um, again, dairy farmers are the hardest working individuals um, around, and I respect them immensely. I I saw the 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 time and effort that my parents, my grandparents, put in, that my brother and sister in law are putting in, um, and that's what I've learned. And that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud that I grew up on a, on a dairy farm and I learned that. And to me, like, as I do different things and am in this role, like I'm a farm girl and I'm really proud of that because I think that's, what's gotten me where I am. The other thing I'd say is perseverance. Again, you think about all the ups and downs of being a farmer, like you're, 
you're always looking at the milk price. And then you don't, like if the weather doesn't pan out and the crops don't um, yield as much as you want them to, as you need them to yield, just so many different variables that you don't get to control, um, but you have to persevere. And that's something, again, I, I saw time and time again from my parents, my neighbors, just that community in central Wisconsin that you just continue to push through and you're not gonna let something get you down. So I'm proud of that. From humble and simple beginnings on a dairy farm in Colby, Wisconsin, I read in this feature that Jeff Gluck of The Athletic did on you in November about Jeff Gordon singing your praises. And I imagine for someone like you that came from central Wisconsin, I know the kind of people around here, they work hard, they take a lot of pride, but it is a very humble area. Do you have any pitch me moments now and again when you're not on the go preparing for a race weekend when you just kind of sit back and you're like, wow, like this is me, like this really happened? I mean, honestly, I have that every day. Um, and uh, the, the, like that story that you mentioned that Jeff wrote, um, that was a, like, it, it, it caught my breath. Um, it was just, yeah, it's, I have it every day. And honestly, I like race weekends. I spent, make sure that I um, spend time during each race in the grandstands. Um, I want to sit and take it in um, and be a race fan for a moment and just, you know, be one of those in the, in the crowd. I remember when Chase won the championship last fall, I was sitting in the grandstands with the fans watching it just like they were. Um, and it's, it's surreal. Um, to, again, to think about watching the races on the TV, um, back in central Wisconsin, like as a kid. And now the fact that I'm here, um, and I'm, I'm part of it. Uh, again, it's it's humbling. I'm very humbled um, by it. The opportunity we have it's an amazing team here at Phoenix Raceway that um, really just we we set the bar very very high, and I'm proud to be part of it. Julia, it's all the questions I got. The open mic is yours. If there's anything you want to add that I did not hit on, uh, I don't think so. Again, I just um, my heart is in Central Wisconsin. It always will be. Um, it's been way too long since I've been able to be home. Um, and looking forward to finally getting back to seeing everybody in the family and um, the WASA affair is a big part of my family's um, uh, DNA. So I look forward to that. I got my nephew who shows at World Dairy Expo and all those fun things. So I get to come home and uh, be the, the crazy aunt following him around with the camera. Um, but it's fun. I'm, I miss it. I'm looking forward to getting home soon. Central Wisconsin roots. We love to see it and she's certainly proud of where she came from. Thanks to Julie for joining us. That's all for this episode. If you have any episode ideas, feel free to email sports at WSAW.com. We'd love to hear from you. But until then, thank you for listening and take care.